Uh, Today, let me turn you to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. And I want to uh, encourage you to sort of lift your eyes and to get a uh, eternal perspective. Amen. I know when we were when the children were little, we would be driving along and and they'd be maybe eight, ten months old, year old, and uh, we'd stop at a uh, train track, train be going by, and we'd say, "Hey, look, look! There's a train." Uh, we never could get them to lift their eyes above the armrest. <laughs> it's like they're so focused on what's in front of them. Uh, one of the things that happens as God matures us is we start seeing things, different perspective. I want to help, hopefully, this morning in Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. Uh, There was a rich man, clothed in purple, fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate, a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. And he desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Even dogs came and licked his sores. And the poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And verse 23, And in Hades, in torment, he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. This is a part of a larger section in Luke in which God is uh, seeking for sinners. Amen. God loves sinners. And he has sent Jesus to save sinners. And Paul said he was chief of sinners. So you may think you're the worst sinner here today. And you are not. Paul said, I'm chief of sinners, and he said that under the leading of the Holy Spirit. So we know that, you know, maybe you're number two, but you're not number one. Uh, but, uh, but that is on the heart of God. In Luke 15, he has talked about those three stories that sinners are lost sheep, and Jesus comes to get that lost sheep. The coin Sinners are like lost coins, very valuable, but they are lost. And Jesus says it's like a woman searching for that coin until she finds it. Sinners are like a prodigal who leaves the father's house, leaves the father's provision and table, and goes into a far country. The elder brother sees him coming home, and he's, he's bothered by the fact that he comes home, and he's mad at the father for receiving him. This older brother represents Pharisees, very religious people, but they did not like sinners, which is not according to the heart of God. And it has in Luke 15, the, the elder brother saying this, Luke 15, 28, he was angry, would not go in and celebrate with them. The father came out and entreated him. And he said, to his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. (laughs) Now, if your child ever said that to you, would you believe them? 
I never one time disobeyed you. And uh, this is why the father is trying to get him to come in and celebrate with the prodigal. But this, this represents the Pharisee. This is the, this is the congregation Jesus speaks to. And this parable or this story that is given to us in Luke 16 in verse 19 is still directed toward the Pharisee. I was thinking the other day as I was looking at this, um, uh, if it wasn't for the Pharisees, I wouldn't have half the sermons that I have to preach. But you, <laughs> I mean, I'm thankful for the Pharisees. In Luke 16, verse 14, the Pharisees were lovers of money and heard these things. So Jesus is saying, look, I know you're religious and I know you're mature and I know you're educated and informed, but you need to lift your eyes and look beyond the present. And that's why he tells this story. And so here's the first thing that I will point out to you is that here's a rich man and uh, here's a poor man. He's, his name is Lazarus, verse 20. He's very sick, covered with sores. He's disabled. He has to be laid at the gate of the rich man. And, of course, he's very poor and, and hungry and, and just begging for a scrap. So this is how bad his present life is. Now, I doubt if any of us are quite that bad today. But he dies, and he goes into what's called Abraham's bosom, verse 22, or Abraham's by Abraham's side. This is actually figurative language from the first century, talking, which refers to the way you would eat together. When, when they ate, they didn't sit across from one another in chairs. They would uh, semi-recline. Um, give me the picture of, uh, that's up. This, this would be a first century mealtime, sitting around a table. It's a little bit elevated. And uh, you sort of almost laid down and ate. Personally, I don't prefer to eat like that. But unless it's Michigan State playing University of Michigan, then I'll go that way. But this is the way they would eat, and your, your head would often be very close to the bosom of the person next to you, usually your wife or husband, and you'd go all the way around the table, and uh, this is why you would have statements like John thirteen twenty three. There was leaning on Jesus' bosom. This is when they were eating at the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, John 13. And on Jesus' bosom, there was leaning one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. In other words, that person whom Jesus is just one of his favorites, probably John, and he's, he's, when they sat to eat, it was John who had the privileged position. And Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And Peter, probably sitting across the way, motioned to John. This is in John uh, thirteen twenty three. He said, ask him who that is. So it was a place where you had intimacy, you had conversation, you shared little inside jokes, that, that kind of thing. And... Uh, uh, John had that position with Jesus at the last meal. 
So when it says here that the, re- the poor man died, verse 22, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, it indicates in figurative language that he was elevated to a place of complete provision, intimacy, and honor with even Abraham considered the father of the faith. While the poor, the rich man died and he went into Hades and is crying out for even a drop of water. So it's total reversal in eternity. And this is what I mean by elevating our perspective so we can get the things as God sees them. Because the way we see things is not always the way things are. There was a guy in New York City I read about. He... he, uh, broke into one of the jewelry stores and he just changed all of the prices on the diamonds and the jewels in the store. The very expensive ones, $10,000 he put on the $50 ones. The $50 ones he would put on the $10,000 ones. And they had to go through and reevaluate everything. In eternity, everything is reevaluated. What is it truly like And what Luke is teaching is you can't always tell by appearances. Some of the poorest, most dishonored here will be the most elevated there. Some of the riches and the billionaires here will be the most degraded there. So we call this message the beggar and the billionaire. Now the first thing I want you to notice here is that this uh, rich man has no name. It just calls him a rich man. And some people, that's what they're known by. They're rich. The other man, the poor man, verse 20, at his gate was was laid a poor man named Lazarus. Now, Lazarus pictures the person that knows God. And I'll tell you why I believe that. Two or three reasons, actually. First of all, he's named. God knows his name. The name Lazarus means helped by God. Amen. Now, if you're poor and you're sick and even the dog's Lick, lick your sores and you can't get anybody to help you. Here's a man that Jesus says is helped by God. <laughs> Do you get the irony in that? Because Jesus is wanting you to know, be careful how you judge outward appearances. Look, if you end up in Abraham's bosom, it doesn't matter how you look or feel down here. And if you end up in hell, it doesn't matter how rich you are down here. Amen. So what he says is that uh, here's one named Lazarus whose name means he has God helping him. And it doesn't always show up until the end. Another thing about him is that he has angels who escort him. Verse 22, the poor man died and was carried by angels into Abraham's side. Now, when the rich man died, 
He was buried. That is, he had human escort. But, but when the poor man died, Lazarus, he had God helping him. So when he died, angels were dispatched to take him to heaven. Now Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says, Angels are our servants sent to those who are the heirs of what? Salvation. So here is Lazarus helped by God and an heir of salvation. Now I've, I've had uh, uh, an occasional, rare but occasional funeral of some well-known or some official in the city. Um, and, and I remember one particular one in which the funeral service was in Grand Blank and they gave us an escort. And I mean the escort. We had police on both sides of the road. If the light was red, it didn't matter. We went straight through. We didn't stop at stop signs. We didn't stop at red lights. We went without any problems. Now, when it comes time to die and you have to get to heaven, how are you going to get there? You... Uh, you can't just rise on your own. There's a few obstacles, one being you don't even know where it is. Uh, where am I going from here? Angels are going to come and escort you there. They are heirs of, they are sent to be servants of those who inherit salvation. That's going to be a blessing. So he says the first thing is, here's one helped of God and angels were sent to help him. By the way, um, you remember when Jesus died on the cross and they came to arrest him and he said, uh, when Peter pulled his sword, he said, Peter, put your sword up. Don't you know I could call, this is Matthew 26, don't you know I could call 12 legions of angels? Thousands of angels. But he didn't. Amen? Why? Because he is taking the death of the sinner. He's taking the place of the sinner in his death. Sinners don't get help. When they die, they die alone. And so here is Jesus taking my place. He died my death so that I may die his death. That is, with God's blessing, God's help, God's angels surrounding me, escorting me into heaven. No Christian dies alone. You know why? Because he died alone for you. And you switch places. Hallelujah. So when it comes time to die, I throw myself on his forgiveness, on his grace, on his mercy, and he gives all the things that Jesus deserved in his death and applies them to me. And so I'm not saying that I look forward to death but it does help to know that you'll have the help of God. Lazarus, 
Amen. So here is the first thing I notice that Lazarus is named, the rich man is not. Another thing is the judgment. Look at verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man died and was buried. And verse 23, in hell, or Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off, Lazarus at his side. Now look at who is begging now. If I said this sermon was entitled The Beggar and the Billionaire, who would you say was the beggar? From God's perspective, the rich man had money, and that's all. And if that's all you have, you're poverty-stricken. And God is saying, look at what, who the beggar is for eternity. He's begging for the slightest drop of water. See, this is an eternal perspective. And whereas Lazarus, the poor man, is in the bosom of Abraham, which means he's at the table. Full provision. And look at the condition of his heart and his emotions. It says in uh, verse 23, in, in Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and, eyes and saw Abraham far off. The word uh, torment or anguish in verse 23, used again in verse uh, 24, that word anguish, only one other place it's used in the New Testament. Luke is the only one that uses it. It's a unique word. Luke was a physician, so he probably saw some men die like this. But it, it has the connotation of total despair. That is, there's no solution to this. I see no way out. The only other place it's used is in Acts 20. Luke uses it, Acts twenty thirty eight when it says that the people... When Paul told the people they would never see his face again, they loved him. When he told them they'd never see him again because he's now at the end of his life, it's, he's getting on a ship, sailing away. When, they, when he told them that, it says they were in anguish. Same word used right here. There's no future here. Now they knew in Paul's case, that they would see him in heaven. But right here, this word is used to describe, I don't see a solution here. So this, that's the condition. It's not simply or only physical, but it's emotional anguish that is laid out here. And look one, at one other thing. Verse 26. He says... And besides all this, verse 26, between us and you is a great gulf or chasm fixed, so that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. It's permanent. It's unalterable. This is the thing he is saying. To those who go through life without God, without Christ, without forgiveness, without faith... This is what he's pointing to. The permanence of it, sometimes I hear, um, some, somebody will ask me if, you know, if when you die, can, as you gr- 
does your grandpa or great grandma come back and help you or anything? But notice in verse 26, there's a great gulf fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not. Uh, I think God can send angels to escort you in life, camp around about you, protect you. Psalm 91 teaches that. But in terms of an ancestor, that would be a no. In terms of going to a fortune teller, uh, the dead are not coming to speak to you. When it seems like they are, that's a false spirit. That's an evil spirit. That masquerading But here, verse 26, Jesus closes the door on all communication between the living and the dead. A great gulf is fixed. They can't come here and you can't go there. So, I think that's something to note. And then there's one other point to be made, and that is, uh, can someone on the other side, even though in verse 26 he can't get out and no one can go to him, Can he influence history? Can he cry out to heaven and have a prayer answered? And you'll notice he said, verse 27, I beg you, Father Abraham, send him to my house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them lest they come to this place. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. No answered prayer either. So here's the way we would conclude this. Three thoughts. One, Jesus has given us a story which I think is just priceless. It's great privilege. If somebody said to you, there's a guy who's been on the other side and he's come back, or he knows the other side and he's here, he's going to tell you the truth about what it's like. Man, how much would you pay for that? How far would you drive for that? And here is Jesus who ought to know the other side. And he's told us this story. And it is a privilege to know this story. What's on the other side? What about the afterlife? Here's another thought. And that is the idea of our uh, perspective. Our perspective how here's one named Lazarus who had nothing, now he gains all. Here's one who was dishonored in life, but look at him now, he's sitting with Abraham. That's called the father of all those who believe, Romans 4.11 says. He had pain here, but now he's got comfort for eternity. And, and let me just say a word about the Heavenly Father here. Because sometimes life does not seem fair. And God seems distant. And inexplicably uh, moving circumstances, maneuvering lives in a way that doesn't make sense. Hey, you know what? I had an ankle broken some years ago, and I mean it was smashed. Three places. And there was a doctor named Moses that fixed it. Oh, man, I loved that lady. 
But I didn't stop in the middle of surgery and say, hey, you're not doing that right. This hurts. I would say to you, if you're hurting today, give God time. Let let him work. Let him do his work. Your mind is finite. You're trying to fit the knowledge of the ocean in a pea. (laughs) No insult to your brains, by the way. I'm not calling you pea brains. But that is the, uh, the amount of things God knows and God is doing. Let him do his work. You don't have to understand it. Amen? We'll just trust him on all that. So we say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but you know what you're doing, and I rest in that. But think about the eternities. Think about how things are turned upside down. And so comparing ourselves among ourselves, among the, the world, uh, it's only downhill emotionally. So the perspective that we would give and letting God have his way and giving him the timing. Then one other thing, and that is the pursuit we should take. I am just uh, blown away by this statement at the end where he says uh, to Father Abraham, can someone go to my brothers from the dead? Persuade them. Please do a miracle. So they don't come where I'm at. And the response is, they have the Word of God. Mm. And if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they wouldn't believe if someone rose from the dead to talk to them. Isn't that amazing? You have the Bible, and if you don't believe the Bible, you wouldn't believe a miracle. There's an example of that. When Jesus was raised from the dead, and what it said, this is in Matthew 28, and what it actually says is that when, before, just before the resurrection, there was this big earthquake, and uh, an angel came down, this is Matthew 28 too, and he rolled back the stone, this angel, and he sat on it, on the stone, and his appearance, verse 3, was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. Now, here's the thing. The Jews had put a guard around Jesus' tomb. You see that up in Matthew 27, verse 66. They sealed it and put a guard. So here's this angel. He comes down and the guards are right there. And they're like lightning and they're their faces shining and it says that the guards were just paralyzed by fear Matthew 28 4 the guards trembled and became like dead men (laughs) hey I, I probably would have been too they were just frozen in fear angels moving the tomb back Jesus coming up coming out of the tomb and and it says some of them, this is Matthew twenty-eight eleven, went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. They told him, we were there. 
We had the assignment. We saw an angel come down, and he was like a lightning flash, and he moved the stone, and out came Jesus. And we were paralyzed with fear. And you guys need to know that because I think we're all in trouble. And you know what they did? They paid them a sufficient sum of money, Matthew 28, 12, and said, tell the people that the disciples came and stole him away while you were sleeping. And if it comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money, did as they were directed, and this story is spread among the Jews to this day. Here was my thought. There were eyewitnesses of Christ's resurrection. And they went and told the chief priest. You guys killed the wrong man. You killed the Messiah. And he came back to life. And the chief priest wrote him a check. Because we don't want that known. Now, that is exactly what Jesus says in his parable. If they don't really believe the Bible, they won't believe if someone rose from the dead. So my point there is, let's pursue the Word of God. Because we want eternal life. This is our sustenance. This is our food. And let's leave the inequities to a faithful Heavenly Father who I believe loves us as illustrated in the cross and in Jesus Christ. Bow with me for prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray you would change our perspective today from time to eternity. Help us to view things as you view them. Give us the glasses of eternal life. And I thank you that Jesus gave us this story. Thank you you've pulled back the curtain so we can see. May you be praised and exalted in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.